Uh, I'm John, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, one of the pastors here at North Park. And uh, we are in week two of a new series on the Lord's Prayer and uh, go for about seven weeks. And so, um, you know, kids are funny and you try to teach them about prayer as Christian, as a Christian family. And I read a story this week about Johnny, very bright five-year-old, told his daddy he'd like to have a baby brother. And along with this request, he offered to do whatever he could to help his dad. And his dad, a very bright 35-year-old, paused for a moment and replied, I'll tell you what, Johnny, if you pray every day for two months for a baby brother, I guarantee you that God will give you one. Johnny responded eagerly to his dad's challenge, went to his bedroom early that night to start praying for a baby brother. He prayed every night for a whole month, but after that time, he began to get skeptical. And he checked around the neighborhood and found out that what he thought was going to happen had never occurred in the history of the neighborhood. You just don't pray for two months and then whammo! A new baby brother. So Johnny quit praying. After another month, Johnny's mother went to the hospital. And when she came back home, Johnny's parents called him into the bedroom. He cautiously walked into the room, not expecting to find anything. And there was a little bundle lying right next to his mother. And his dad pulled back the blanket. And there was not one baby brother, but two. Mom had had twins. And his dad said to him, now, aren't you glad you prayed? Johnny hesitated, as little kids do. He's thinking. Then he looked up at his dad and said, yes, but aren't you glad I quit praying when I did? (laughs) So there's a lot of things about prayer in there, but there's probably more that we should learn about prayer. So we're thankful that uh, Jesus one day, as he was out on the mountainside, uh, stopped on the mountain and he circled his disciples probably right in front of him. And he began to preach to them, to teach. And behind his disciples, his followers were probably other people in the crowd just listening in. We find that in Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, through chapter 7. In chapter 6, last week, we began to look at uh, verses 1 through 18. Jesus is addressing that there are some people, religious people, who what they do as they participate in the primary activities of worship back then, which was giving and praying and fasting, that a lot of people do that all for show. Jesus said when people do that for the sake of other people, that's their reward. Other people know that they give or they pray or that they fast. Jesus called those people hypocrites. On the other hand, Jesus said real followers of Christ, my true disciples, they do these activities in secret. And God, their heavenly father, sees them and he rewards them. In verse 6 of that chapter... He said this about prayer. He said, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door. Pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You don't need to go out and pray publicly so everybody can see you. Go into your room, close the door, and your heavenly father will see you there. And he will reward you. Now, Phil mentioned last week that this is not saying that you can't do those activities in public. When we gather together as a church We do many of these when we join together with other believers. But what he is saying is when you do these things, you should do it with the right motives. And one of the things that we can do to help guard our motives when we pray is that we should learn to have regular times where we pray in private. Just us and God. Not worried about what other people might hear or what they might think. But we can just talk to God. 
Now here at North Park, we have something called the Discipleship Pathway that gives us a guide of how we can help people come to know Christ and then help them become part of the mission that we're on. And a lot of times we'll use the illustration of a chair to help illustrate the different interactions that we have with other believers. Right now, you're here on a Sunday service. You're sitting in a row. There's primarily one person up here talking. Someone leads us in singing, but when it comes to the word and in prayer, people pray from up here. So you're sitting in a row. That's not the only Christian experience that we need. It's a very important one, but it's not the only one that we need. And so we also, after discipleship hour or maybe some other time throughout the week, we meet in life groups. And so we meet in a circle. And we don't have one person talking, but we talk with each other. We have conversations. Somebody leads us into the word and we discuss it and we ask questions and we talk about how it can apply. And we pray one for another, not just one person praying, but several people praying and we pray for each other. And then we have something called a discipleship group, a D group we call it, where groups of three to five believers, same gender, meet together with a very intentional purpose to help each other grow. And we're held accountable for different aspects of our Christian life. A service, a life group, a discipleship group, and then we go out into the world to be on mission. But that doesn't negate the need for us occasionally to sit in a chair by ourselves. It doesn't have to be a chair. Wherever your place is. Jesus said when you go to pray, go into your room and close the door. The place isn't as important as to what kind of place it is. Is it a place where you can be undistracted? where you can just focus on talking to God and pray with the motive of just wanting to talk with your Heavenly Father. So we need the row, we need the circles, but we also need a chair, a private time when we can talk to God. Jesus said in verse 6 here to go in private, but also in verse 9 then he says, so this is how you should pray. He's going to teach us. And as he teaches us how to pray with the right motives, he said it will be helpful to go into a room, close the door, and have some private time. Now, over in Luke, where we have the other version of the Lord's Prayer, the recording of that, um, a disciple actually came to Jesus. They had seen him pray. They're watching him pray. My guess is they're going like, he prays differently than us. Maybe we're not doing something right. And so one of the disciples went and said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Now, I'm not sure how you take that today as you think about your own prayer life. Maybe you're eager to be taught by Jesus how to pray. You're like, yes, I want to hear Jesus. What does he say about how we should pray? Maybe you're a little offended. Like, I've been praying for 40 years. I know how to pray. I don't need Jesus to come in and try to correct me. Or maybe you've never asked anyone. That's an interesting question. Have you ever asked anybody, will you teach me how to pray? Or maybe you've never really thought to learn how to pray. One thing is obvious, though, that if we are left to ourselves to figure out how to pray, our natural tendencies, our selfish tendencies will take over and we will inevitably inevitably do it wrong. And so I believe that this morning for individuals and our church, this is a great opportunity for us to listen to Jesus and to be taught how to pray. One of God's greatest gifts that he's given us. So where should we start when we decide to pray? Well, in verse 9, Jesus will start with, here's how you start. Our Father in heaven. And to look at that this morning, we're going to look at four words. We're going to look at family, intimacy, sovereignty, and priority. To help us learn from Jesus how we ought to pray. 
All right, let's look at that first word, family. It's interesting if you look at the pronouns in the prayer, this model prayer that Jesus gave us. Again, we're not just supposed to recite it. Pastor Phil was modeling for us how to use the model this morning, that we can still pray our heart, but we can use it as a guide. When he starts, he says, start with the word our, our father in heaven. If you go down to verse 11, you're going to see when he gets to personal needs, even there, the pronoun is not singular. It's not I, but it's us, our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Isn't that interesting that Jesus, when he says this is how you should pray, uses plural pronouns. It's not filled with I and my. So that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for our personal needs. He's going to address that in the whole second half of the prayer. But at the beginning, he is saying there's something important about the pronoun that you start with. And he says, I want you to start with our. Even though he said you're to go into a quiet place by yourself, your chair, or wherever that place is, As you're driving or as you're on a walk, wherever you are, when it's just you and God, that is an individual thing you're to do, but actually we are never praying alone. Did you know that? We're never praying alone. We are always praying in fellowship with our spiritual family. We're praying with other believers who are part of this family that we are connected to. So when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we are automatically connected to a spiritual family. In Ephesians 2.19, Paul would put it this way. So now you Gentiles or those who aren't Christians, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. When Paul wrote that, this was so radical. People who were not Jewish were now part of God's holy people. And he said, yes, because I'm forming something new. It's not just a people now, it's a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. I grew up in the South, and there you hear that a lot. Hey, there's Brother John, and there's Sister So-and-so. And even uh, Andy has a little bit of that. When we pray, he'll say, thank you for Brother Phil, right? Christians often called each other brother and sister because they were family. It's interesting that when the church was persecuted, one of the things that was uh, brought against them was that they were committing incest, that they were having improper relationships. They call each other mom and dad, and they call each other brother and sister. It was a total misunderstanding of what Jesus was trying to say. We are a family. And so he says, when you start your prayer, you never are praying alone. Start with the word our. And then he says, our father. We pray our father. Did you know that in the Old Testament, God was said to be like the father of his creation. He was said to do fatherly things, but he was not addressed directly as father. It wasn't until Jesus came in human form and he addressed God as father. And so this hour reminds us that we're connected with other believers, but it also reminds us that we are connected With Jesus. We pray to the same Father that Jesus did. And each time that Jesus prayed, as it's recorded for us, he addressed God as Father, except for one time. And we'll come back to that in just a little bit. So this word hour reminds us not only are we praying in concert with each other, but we are 
being given something priceless by Jesus. Jesus has this relationship with God, the Father, and now he is sharing that with us. He's giving us this wonderful gift that we, too, can now call God Father. We are family. And so that's important when we go to start our prayer. And so he says, start here with our Father. The word is family. The second word is intimacy. When we think about Father, it's a word that speaks about intimacy. Now, Jesus says, okay, this is how you pray. You're to pray to our Father, not to Jesus' mother, not to the saints who are gone and dead, not to the priest, not to nature, not to some cosmic force or any other God, and not to Mother God. You see, God is personal and caring, and he's also the one who establishes what his fatherhood means. He's not someone else's father. He is our father. Matthew uses the word here that's equivalent to the word Abba. You may have heard that before. Abba was a term that was like a kid speaking to their dad. It would say daddy, but not necessarily as a little kid. It could be a, a grown person. Could, for us, many of us, we call it, hey, dad. Or down south where I uh, grew up, you hear a lot about papa and mama. It's a, a term that speaks about a relationship where the, the dad, the father, is one who loves their child. And he provides security and care for him. Now, as we approach God as father in our modern-day culture, that might be a hindrance to some of us. It may be that our experience with our dad has not been very good. Maybe our relationship with him wasn't good. Maybe he wasn't a good father. Maybe there's nothing good that comes to mind when we hear the word father. But I just remind you that God is not human. He's a spirit. He's not male or female. And when he gives us this name for himself, father, he's simply saying and identifying that we can have a relationship with him. A relationship that comes to us only through Jesus Christ. We see that in the verses that we read in Romans chapter 8. Where we've received a spirit that makes not has not we've not received a spirit that makes us fearful slaves. Instead, we receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. That's why we call him Abba Father. So when we read that God is father, this isn't about a male or female issue. This is about there's a God who made it possible that we could be adopted into his family. When we had rebelled and gone our own way, when we were a slave to sin, he provided a way that we could be adopted. And the passage continues. For this spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we are now in the same relationship. God is father. And now we are heirs of God's glory. So right at the beginning, it says, hey, when you go to pray, remember, our Father, God has adopted us. And in fact, we could say this is why Jesus came. We just completed a series uh, over Christmas from Galatians chapter 4 that Jesus came at just the right time. And I just remind you that he came at the right time, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him, why? To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own Children. That's what it means that God is Father. He sent Jesus so that He could adopt us. That's how much He wanted us 
to become part of his family. And now as our father, he is unconditionally committed to us by adopting us. He has legally and personally taken on the responsibility to be our guardian, our protect, our protector and our provi- uh, provider. Sorry about that. Legally be our guardian, protector and provider. You see, father is not just a title and it's not just something that God gave us to try to accommodate our understanding. But rather, it speaks to a very specific relationship that he has with his kids who only have become part of his family because they have repented and believed in Jesus. Now, we mentioned that Jesus always addresses God as father in his prayers, except for one time. Only one time did he not use this title, father, and it happened on the cross. You might know that we talk about the seven words of the cross. These were seven statements that Jesus made. And three of those were prayers addressed to God. The first two are in Luke chapter 23, where he said, Jesus, Father, or Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. As they were going to take him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And then later on, he shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands as he took his last breath. So you see how he prayed all his other prayers, Father. But there's one time that he didn't address God as Father. And we see that in Matthew chapter 27. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, not Father, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or some of you might know it as forsaken me the only time that god didn't or if jesus didn't address god as father he still used the loving term my god my god but he didn't address him as father and that's because a father's responsibility is to provide for and protect to be a legal guardian a personal guardian someone who's responsible for their good and in this moment beyond our comprehension Jesus actually says to his father, why have you abandoned me? At that moment, God is not acting like you would expect a father to act. He is putting all of our sins and the sins of the world on Jesus. Jesus is taking the punishment for that sin there. And so Jesus addresses him as my God, my God, not my father. He had abandoned Jesus as he, Jesus, became our substitute and our sin was placed on him. He took the payment for our sin. And in exchange, when we repent and believe in Jesus, we get his righteousness. And we are adopted and welcomed into God's family. You see, Jesus didn't address God as father on the cross so that we could address him as our father after we came into his family. So Jesus says to do it this way. It is to our Father in heaven that we pray. Jesus, teach us to pray. Do it this way. It is to our Father in heaven that we pray. This uh, week I came across a story about Abraham Lincoln when he was president. And during the Civil War, a young soldier in the Union Army lost his older brother and his father in the Battle of Gettysburg. And the soldier decided to go to Washington, D.C. to see President Lincoln to ask for an exemption from military service so that he could go back and help his sister and mother 
with the spring planting on the farm. And when he arrived in Washington, after having received a furlough from the military to go and plead his case, he went to the White House and he approached the front gate and he asked to see the president. The guard on duty told him, you can't see the president. Don't you know there's a war going on? The president is very busy. Now go away. Get back out there on the battle lines where you belong. And so the young soldier left disheartened and he was sitting at a little park bench not far from the White House when a little boy came up to him and he said, soldier, you look unhappy. What's wrong? And the soldier looked at the little boy, began to spill his heart to him. He told of his father and his brother being killed in the war, of the desperate situation at home. He explained that his mother and sister had no one to help them with the farm. And the little boy listened and said, I can help you, soldier. He took the soldier by the hand and led him back to the front gate of the White House. Apparently, the guard didn't notice because they weren't stopped. And they walked straight to the front door of the White House, walked right in. After they got inside, they walked right past generals and high-ranking officials. No one said a word. The soldier couldn't understand. Why didn't anyone try to stop them? Finally, they reached the Oval Office where the president was working. And the little boy didn't even knock on the door. He just walked right in and led the soldier in with him. And there behind the desk was Abraham Lincoln and the Secretary of State looking over battle plans that were laid out on the desk. And the president looked at the boy and then at the soldier and said, Well, good afternoon, Todd. Can you introduce me to your friend? And Todd Lincoln, the son of the president, said, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. The soldier pled his case before Mr. Lincoln, and right then and there, his exemption was given. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're told to come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus is our high priest, and we'll get the answers that we need, the help that we need. Prayer is family talk. It speaks about intimacy, that we can come close to God through Jesus. But he's not just our father. He is our father in heaven. And just as much as father speaks to the intimacy, the closeness we can have with God, in heaven speaks to the distance that there is between us and God. And so our third word is sovereignty. Sovereignty. To to be sovereign is to have absolute rule. We talk about God being sovereign or his sovereignty We're saying that God is a king. He is the king, the king of kings. And so when we go to our chair, to our place, and we sit to talk to God, we talk to our Father in a close way, but we also remember our God is the king. We are in his throne room. We are right in the presence of the king of kings, God Almighty. So there's a closeness But there's also a distance. He's come near to us in grace, but we've got to be careful to make sure we approach him with reverence and awe. Sometimes as adults, as we try to build relationships with those younger than us, or sometimes when we're younger and we're building a relationship with adults older than us, it could be our parents, a coach, some other authority. There's a line there where there's a friendship that develops, but... There's still a recognition that one person is the adult or the person in authority and the other one is not. When I was in college, I didn't play soccer at all, but I knew a lot of the soccer guys. There was a guy named Matt, and Matt was a real jokester. And uh, our soccer coach was Coach Carver. Coach Carver was one of the coolest guys that we knew, but he was one of those guys that you just respect him so much. When he spoke, you listened. He was not the kind of guy that you got mad at or said bad things about. He was just an all-around good 
guy. He was a Bible professor, and he coached the soccer team. And one day at practice, the guys were starting to mess around. And uh, those of you who have been part of sports teams know that. But guys, for some reason, are always obsessed with pulling guys' shorts down. You know, you get shorted, right? And they were doing that. And Matt lost his mind for a second, and he did that to Coach Carver. And he pulled down Coach Carver's shorts. And at that moment, Matt realized, oh, my, what have I done? It was not something he intended to do, but he knew that was a line you don't cross. You can do that with your buddies, but you don't do that with Coach, and especially Coach Carver. And that was a very serious moment all of a sudden. And Matt was able to meet with Coach Carver later, and they they worked that out. In my house... If I was ever to have uttered the word to my dad, hey, Jack, what's up? <laughs> my dad was, I'm John Nixon III, was my grandpa, and then my dad. My dad was called Jack by his friends. If I would have ever said to my dad, hey, what's up, Jack? That probably would have been the last word that I'd have ever uttered, <laughs> right? And I know the times have changed some, and the, the point isn't whether uh, kids call their their parents by their first name, that's something to work out. But when you say it in a flippant way that negates the recognition that, hey, this is my dad. I'm his child. I'm responsible to him, right? The same thing with God when we go to pray. Jesus says, hey, it's our, it's a family thing. We're all connected together. And in fact, we're praying to the same God Jesus is. And so we address him as father because he's adopted us into our family. He he welcomes us right into his throne room. But it is a throne room. And we should always approach God with reverence and awe. Uh, John Stott, a theologian and pastor, said this, that this teaching about Jesus and how we approach him is less concerned with the proper protocol in approaching deity than with the truth of who he is, who God is, to establish within the believer the right frame of mind. So such a short statement, our Father in heaven, but it's packed with so much meaning. And every time we go to pray, we should remember who it is that we're praying to. It is our Father, but it's our Father in heaven. And so that brings us to our last word, and our last word is priority. Because when I remember, hey, it's our, it's family, the other believers. We're praying to the same Father that Jesus is, and it's only possible because there's this intimate relationship that I can have because of what Jesus did for me. But he's the king, the sovereign one. And that changes what I pray for. That changes the priorities. When at the beginning of a prayer we pause to remember who we're praying to and how we got here, Man, that changes everything. God isn't here just to give me what I want. We just uh, sang that song that said it so wonderfully. My priority isn't my reputation and to build my kingdom or have God support my causes for him to solve my problems in the way that I think he should. I start somewhere different. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. So start like this. Our Father in heaven. That's who we're praying to. Our Father in heaven. And then he's going to say, hallowed be your name. I think these are three that are connected. These are the priorities then. Before I ask God for anything that I need or other people I know need, God, this is about you. This isn't about me getting what I want. And even the way that you meet my needs, however you do that or what you choose not to do, 
That's up to you because I want your name to be hallowed. I want your kingdom to come and your will be done as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. And then there are personal needs of the disciples that are mentioned. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have very real needs. Other people have real needs. But the place that we start is that we recognize our priorities based on who God is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that word hallowed is kind of the verbal uh, word for holy. Holy be your name. But this isn't a prayer that God's name become holy or that God become holy because he already is that. This is a prayer that says, let God's name be treated holy in my life and really by the entire world. It's a prayer for his name and his reputation to be kept holy and revered as it and God himself deserves. So I've got a lot to learn about prayer still. I'm not sure if I should pray for one, two, or three kids at this point in my life. That was a joke, by the way. As little Johnny did. But I do know I should listen to Jesus and learn to pray and start my prayers with our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Jesus says to do it this way. Do it this way. It is to our Father in heaven that we pray. Prayer is so much more than me just telling God what I need. Last week we read that he already knows what we need, right? But isn't that how we think about prayer so often? Prayer is pretty much me telling telling God what I need. Jesus is saying it's so much more than that. It speaks of family. I never pray alone even though I might be alone. I pray in fellowship with other people. Christ followers. It speaks of intimacy, nearness with God, and joy that I've been adopted into his family and I'm coming to my father. I don't deserve to be here. This is the king of the universe who I rebelled against and sinned against and had no way to get back to him. And yet he gave Jesus so that I could be adopted. And so I come with humility and reverence, surrendering me to him because the priority is that God comes first. There's a prayer guide that we handed out last week, and there's a few more out on the table there that you can use this as a model to help you in your prayer life. But I'd like to remind you of two things, if I could, as we close. Will you this week try to start your prayers with our Father in heaven? Sometimes we say it, dear heavenly Father. But I want to encourage you to use that pronoun, our, our Father in heaven. And just pause before you pray, whether it's a short prayer or a long prayer. Remember who it is that we pray to. And then try this. As you end your prayer, usually we say in Jesus' name, but right before that, say something like this. This is your son, John. This is your son whom you love. To remind yourself that our Father speaks about that relationship that you have. Or this is your beloved daughter, Brenda. But just a few little words to just pause, slow down just a little bit, especially as we gather in that private place, unhindered, not worried about other people hearing. Do I say it just right? Not worried about people thinking I'm a super spiritual person because I'm praying. Just you and God, our Father in heaven.
And as you close, I pray this in Jesus' name. This is John, your son whom you love. And so in Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you love us and desire us to be able to live our lives in a way that not only are pleasing to you, but that reflect your name, your reputation, your will to the world around us. God, would you continue to help us do better as we pray, or maybe pray for the first time. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, has never been able to pray this way, would they simply ask you to come into their life, believing that Jesus died for them so that they could be adopted and help them to repent of their sin and turn and go a different way to follow you? Would you make us as individuals in a church, a praying church, not any mystery to it, simply following a a model prayer that you've given us, that our relationship with you would be all that you want it to be, and that we as a church could be on mission to help more people come to know you the way that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.